If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Pixel Sift. Don't Will Smith switch the channel or whatever because we'll have a swifty show in store for you today. I'm Johnny and I'm joined today by two Nintendo Switch supporters, Mitch and Scott. Hey, hey. What, yep. what do we have in store today, boys? Yeah, we'll be looking at the video game voice actors strike that's currently occurring in the US and worldwide. My name is Gustav Simo. The studio is called Lost Goblin. It's been around for just over three years now. Uh, this is our first big game, and um, the game is Goblins of Elderstone. We're also having a chat to Gustav Seymour of uh, Lost Goblin, as he very articulately put through there, and we'll be talking about their game, Goblins of Elderstone. Our final topic for today, we'll be having a look at the freshly announced Nintendo Switch that's what we've got we've got more it's all gonna be all over the place uh right now though let's jump into our first topic pixel sift (laughs) pixel sift no seriously pixel sift (laughs) no seriously pixel sift so the Screen Actors Guild of America, uh, Screen Guild Act American Federation of Television, Radio, Artists, SAG-AFTRA have gone on strike. Say that 10 times quickly. Oh, oh man. I've been practicing no. and it just, <laughs> no. No wonder yeah. it's a acronym. Yeah. That's yeah. all I can say. All right. So you may remember about a year ago, we covered this extremely similar situation back in episode three of Pixel Sift. Um, Sack after believes it's actually not even an extremely similar situation. It's it, the it's same, the same. It's still going on. Um, yeah. Basically, they started it back in episode three, and it's kind of been ongoing until now. And mm-hmm. they have actually set a strike date. We've actually been looking to cover it quite a few times over the year, but we just it hasn't really like it's, gained as much momentum as it has in the past forty-eight hours or like week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Companies are still failing to compensate their voice talent appropriately, and as of the 21st of October, they have gone on strike. That's right, and there's some pretty high-profile names in there, names and probably voices, actually, that you would recognize. Uh, some of the big people who have come out about uh, and sort of stressed the reason why for this uh, negotiation and the updates of contract is Jennifer Hale, who you will probably know from the Mass Effect series. She plays the uh, female Shepard character. She also does a bunch of voices in Halo. Um, and also Steve Bloom, who you would definitely recognize from like a plethora of different games, Dawn of War 2. Uh, you, you'll know his voice when you hear it. Well, basically, they gave us a few reasons. Uh, well, they didn't give us a few reasons, but they've given <laughs> a few reasons as to why um, this is a really important thing. Uh, Jennifer Hale was talking to NPR's All Tech Considered, and Steve Bloom was on their website. Let's have a listen to 
that one there. Actually, no, I haven't got it ready yet. So yeah, let's so, go uh, for something else first. Yeah, so Jennifer Hale is like one of the coolest people ever. Like, <laughs> it's, um, it's, but some of the companies also affected, not, not just people, uh, Activision uh, Publishing, um, uh, Disney Character Voices, Electronic Arts Productions, uh, Insomniac Games, Interactive Associates, Take-Two, uh, WB Games, like... It's across the board. It's going to, you know... There's definitely some um, big names and big high-profile companies in there. Uh, let's have a listen to that now. Yeah. I have friends who have had to have surgery because of the vocal stress they incurred in the session, and they've been out of work for months. We're asking for basic safety parameters around what we call vocal stress. Now, I've worked on about 400 video games in my career. In fact, I hold the Guinness World Record for working on more games than anyone. The reason I have to work on that many is because there is no secondary compensation in our contract. I've worked on games that have grossed in the billions, yet never received an extra dime on the back end. Man, that voice. <laughs> so familiar. You know yeah, him from yeah. uh, many, many different things. Steve Bloom there and Jennifer Hale at the top there. Uh, secondary compensation that they're talking about there is basically bonuses and uh, sort of ongoing royalties as part of uh, being in a video game uh, it sort of does happen in film and TV uh, you can see some of the high profile uh, films where an actor for example will if they you know a movie is huge in DVD or huge and grosses massively they get some sort of bonus and, and extra work as part of that so. even in cases like in TV like syndication like Jerry Seinfeld apparently earns like a, the majority of his money from the syndication of the show well Jerry Seinfeld slightly different because he was a producer yeah, on the show yeah. so, but it is sort of in essence the same sort of I mean of, he is still heavily a performer as well I mean. yeah but you're thinking about this right you've got something which is obviously a very uh, it's a very uh you know, honed skill. It's not something that everyone can do. It's something that does have a lot of stress. And, you know, when your voice is your your talent and it is your basically what you make your money off, um, they're talking about people who have vocal stress and all of that sort of stuff. That means all of your money stops as soon as you're not recording more voice parts. Um, so that's why there's this sort of this untenable sort of situation where people are not able to, uh, you know, have a sort of a, a good safety net underneath. So It's also in terms of the, the talking... A lot of them now do their own motion capture, mm -hmm. and that, in uh, that involves stunt work. It is stunt work, and video games is one of the only industries where a stunt co coordinator isn't actually um, mandatory. Set, hired on set, yeah. yeah. So I mean, every other form would have that. If you've seen some of the um, making of videos of things like any of the Naughty Dog games, um, basically the actors themselves who do the voices actually act out everything in a mocap suit you know they're there doing everything like most of the animations will get tidied up in the end but the the you know the character building and the you know the acting is actually done in person so you know having not having someone on set to kind of make sure that everything is safe and that people aren't getting injured or hurt or you know they're not going to put strain on themselves and cause um, yeah i mean so. there's a, a example of um a game trying to do a wire pull without a stunt coordinator and they pulled it off but the guy got hurt and yeah was out of work for a long while apparently um i mean it, it's there's a problem with the industry not not taking this uh strike kind of or the negotiation seriously it's going to be going on for like 19 months and um yeah it's just like i said it's not it's like they're not being taken seriously for instance like there is a response to concerns about vocal safety and um, they offered to put more tea and water in the booths for the actors which they already do but they you know it's, it's you know it's just trump <coughs> offerings 
Yeah, well, I mean, think about um, you know people who have these these damage to their to their throat. A tea, a cup of tea, and a cup of water is not going to no, like um, not going to fix that. Uh, if you have been recording screams and yells for uh, you know days at a time because you're doing a particularly action intensive scene, that causes damage, and you know that's why people who uh, you know work in these sort of things have to make mm. sure that they also like another thing that I read, uh, which was pretty ridiculous for someone who's an actor, is them not being told about the roles that they're going to have to play. That's you right. Know, there's all sorts of kind of moral and ethical obligation. Uh, you know. Uh, problems that are kind of come there because you know there's you know, sexual scenes there's you know racial kind of uh, slurs and stuff you know although you know I guess acting it out is you know not actually committing it, but still people are going to have problems with that. And also, there's artistic uh, sort of yeah, compromises I mean, that you have to make because uh, the example that was given was the voice actor for the character Kellogg, who is one of the main sort of antagonists in Fallout Four. He didn't know that he was in Fallout Four until the game came out. <laughs> yeah, see, that's silly. Like, it, there's no way you would, as an any kind of actor in any other kind of uh, you know medium. Would you not be told him what you're supposed to be playing? Also, it's and the just amount dropped of, on you, you know, the amount of time commitment as well. They're not told that either. And we've heard, like, listen, we heard their voices. They're amazing. You know, you, you, we don't possess that. It's not a normal thing. It's mm. a, it's an, it's a talent. It's funny. A, I saw a, a lot of um, a conversation online where people were saying that yes, so you know, a game is, um, you know, voice actors are important, but they're not more important than other aspects of the game and they're like oh we can put any old person in but I think the thing is you don't it's not really just as simple as that sure some games would be fine without you know a high level professional voice actor but you know not every game would be say a very story rich game something like your you know your GTAs and um, all of these other games there's a reason why they uh, games like that hire high profile uh, voice actors or even high profile celebrity like people who just happen to have amazing voices yeah Um, other big factor to this as well is that because there is you know such a a strain and a requirement for a certain number of people it actually doesn't let anyone else get into the industry as well so Mm -hmm. one of the other complaints you often hear people say is that oh you know um Steve Bloomer does every voice in every game or you know there'd be the repeated people Jennifer Hale does a lot of voices and that's the reason why is because it is very stressful and it is very taxing and there is an ability for other people to kind of have that nice sort of safety net in order to make this a living and you know t- people to take a bit of a risk and mm-hmm. and try get into the industry um I, I as you know like i love sound i love the audio side of things always i, th- I think that's the main factor in games ability to you know con- continue immersion and voc- vocals and dialogue are just as key players as uh music and scores yeah. Exactly yeah. right. They bring these characters to life, and I think mm. something. Someone needs to speak for them now. I'd bloody hate to hear my voice uh, on a character on any game. It would just bring me out of it. Or not, not mine, but my, my caliber of voice. It's yeah. just like, yeah, nah, too nasally. Stick, Get out. Stick Get to out. the music, Scott. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> stick to that. Well, it's the thing is we're bringing up the value of games as an artistic uh, measure in society. Yeah. And surely then we could be able to bring every uh, aspect of that in there. Well, you know, we talk about them as being able to do these great things and explore great themes. And let's say that the people who create these uh, voices and uh, voice actors in these things are also in the same way artists as they would be in any other industry. Well said. Let's just jump into our interview with Gustav.
This weekend, I spoke to Gustav Seymour. Actually, no, I didn't. Uh, I was there. <laughs> you did not speak I to him. I was planning to. Mitch did. Um, <laughs> I was there in spirit. Uh, I lost my voice on the weekend, so I wasn't doing any speaking at all. Um, and Mitch spoke to Gustav Seymour. He's from Lost Goblin, which is based in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, we spoke all about his game, Goblins of Elderstone. Are you noticing a little bit of a theme here? Yep. Um, and he told us all about it. It's a goblin tribe simulator. So it's a city builder with a bit of a twist. It's got light RPG and sort of 4X grand strategy elements. And yeah, you are the goblin king or queen of a tribe. You create a new tribe every time you play. You uh, randomize your world. Uh, you pick uh, uh, an environment to start playing on and then you build a village. <clears throat> you grow your tribe initially only with one clan and eventually multiple clans you try and survive against the odds of the world and the npcs in the in the world map as as the tribe grows um, as the clans grow you will need more resources then you can raid other locations in the world map you can trade with npcs and you will also engage in text-based rpg story moments that are randomized and eventually uh, you will also be dealing with um, the gods that you pick at the creation point in the game when you start. Um, you mentioned a 4x, uh, was that a combat system? What, what does that actually mean? Well, 4x uh, grand strategy. So it's uh, oh, okay. 4x, 4x games are, um, uh, I think the X's are expansion, exploration, um, extermination, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. We'll, we'll yeah. So it's 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 a it's a genre of gameplay. So in ours, the exploration is the world map. You scout the tiles around you to um, explore the map to find uh, the the other NPCs. Exploitation is the resources. You exploit the resources. Extermination is well, if you basically conquer everyone else and. Um, Expand. Expand is the other one. Uh, you obviously you expand your uh, influence on the on the region map. So um, it's got it's got elements of all of that on the uh, strategy layer of the game. But its core gameplay is uh, a city builder, a survivalist city builder. Awesome. So um, are the maps procedurally generated? Yes. Yes. Uh, so every time you play, you can choose uh, the size of the map that you want to play, which will obviously determine the length of your game um, and the difficulty. And there'll be future settings that will add as well to to um, customize your gameplay. And then on the uh, region map, there'll be a number of NPCs based on the size of the map. And um, uh, those world maps are made out of different tiles that are made out of different environment types like mountain, grassland, swamp, forest, whatever. And yeah, so those are ra randomized uh, every time you play. And you can randomize it. There's a button to randomize. Does that make designing the game mechanics difficult? Um, it, it makes it different. The, the balancing comes within the systems. Uh, so if you plan ahead um, that it will be a procedural game, then you, you, you create your systems to accommodate that. So you still have to balance all the systems, obviously. And you need to test for big outliers. If somebody rolls a map that only has good or only has bad things, um, it still needs to be playable. But yeah, it's a different challenge. 
So how did your team form? So most of us, well, all of us have worked together at studios before. When we founded, we three of the core team were working um, at Gameloft in Auckland and uh, were leads on projects and worked really well together and decided at the time that we wanted bigger things and we wanted to make our own games and have our own studio. So that's how we formed. And subsequently, all the other members, uh, we've worked together at different studios since. What are the best aspects of City Builders and what are you aiming to improve on? One of the reasons we, we wanted to make this game was at the time we were playing uh, Banished. Uh, we're, we're big fans of City Builder games. I play almost everyone that comes out and we felt what was lacking in the City Builder games that uh, when we were discussing was, was an end game. You, you usually get to a state in these city builder games where you've kind of figured out all the systems, you've gotten good at uh, setting up your city, and then it would kind of get a bit boring because there's, there's just there wasn't anything else happening. There were no 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 threats big enough to uh, throw the system into chaos, and that's why we chose goblins as our as our race because inherently they're chaotic, and we felt like this was a good way to inject what we call chaos systems um, into the design where uh, things could go be going really well and then because a goblin is upset because you, ha you haven't looked after a certain element in the game they might start stealing from another clan or burn down a building and then throw your system into a little bit of chaos and then you have to deal with that so yeah it's it's um most city builder games have some elements of that but that's something that we wanted to kind of focus on and, and strengthen what's the game development scene like in auckland and new zealand um, it's actually, it's growing a lot. I, I moved to Auckland five years ago and um, with when Gameloft opened here. And um, Gameloft has since come and gone and many uh, indie studios and other studios have popped up since. So it's a pretty big community now. Uh, the game developers meetup uh, in Auckland is where we launched the Kickstarter campaign and the launch went really well. There were lots, you know, the, some of the meetups have um, a few hundred people. And um, we recently had the New Zealand Game Developers Conference, which was quite large. Uh, I don't remember the exact number now, but I think it's 2,000 game developers um, in New Zealand. And most, I'd say half are in Auckland. So it's quite big. It's definitely grown and it's very healthy. Awesome. So what would you like to see change to help the New Zealand scene grow? Uh, the biggest problem we have is what I think most most in any way have is, is funding. Um, uh, Mel Melbourne, for example, in Australia has a really good uh, funding model. They had and now again, we've got a good community, we've got all the skills, we've got excellent students coming through some of the tertiary um, institutes, relatively easy to hire uh, skilled people from overseas. Um, the one thing we don't have is funding. Uh, funding is extremely difficult. Um, and we're hoping, I mean, the NZGDC is working really hard with the government to try and change that. Uh, the films industry obviously gets a lot of funding, but uh, hopefully games can eventually get some of that funding as well. All right, let, let's talk about your Kickstarter now. Um, so was the game going to happen with or without the Kickstarter? Was it necessary? Was it a... Uh... Was it vital? Yeah, so so we've been working on it on the game about eighteen months, 
No, um, six months was prototyping and design and early stage, and then uh, we did we had funding from a company, so invested into the game. And once we uh, got past the prototyping stage, and um, that allowed us to work full time for about ten months, a little bit less, nine months. We worked full time. That got us to this stage, uh, so that we could launch the Kickstarter. I think we feel like it's at a stage where we can show people and and have a Kickstarter so that we can deliver an alpha afterwards for people to play the game. If the Kickstarter, it looks like it's going to be successful. Um, we're definitely, we're, we're 86% or something now. But if it wasn't, uh, and if we weren't going to do it, I think it would have taken a very long time for us to actually finish the game in a in a high quality kind of way. So the the objective is for us to go back to working full time on the game and, and hence the, the necessity for the Kickstarter. Um, looking back at the creative process, um, the art style is very colourful. Um, goblins are often portrayed as like dark or scary or like really almost sure. cannon fodder at almost almost yeah. every other video game in existence. What made you move away from this? Well, that's the, what you said is actually one of the reasons. Um, I'm I, I love goblins. Um, I've I I used to uh, when I still do uh, uh, build magic uh, the gathering decks of of goblin. Uh, flunkies and, and goblin decks. Um, I play goblins in Warhammer. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of them, like in, in all their different um, uh, styles and variations. I just think they you know, they they can be quite uh, cute in their in their chaotic nature. And yes, they're always they're always cannon fodder. They get mercilessly slaughtered by everyone. So uh, we thought it would be kind of fun to uh, have a village builder to. Uh, or a game where they were the protagonists and uh, they're the heroes, and you're 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 just building your village, you're just minding your own business, and heroes show up and uh, try and try and murder everyone, and the you know the heroes come off as the bad guys. Uh, you know, if if an adventuring party arrives on your map and tries to slaughter all your villagers, you uh, you might have uh, more sympathy for goblins the next time you you play D and D or something. Thank you very much for your time, Gustav. Thanks, thanks so much, Mitchell. Really appreciate it. Gustav Seymour of Lost Goblin. They're based in Auckland. You can find uh, Goblins of Elderstone on Kickstarter right now. Uh, if you go onto the internet, um, you'll be able to find them. You can back them. If you're heading to PAX Oz next weekend, as we are, you can go and check them out there as well. Um, they're one of the uh, selected games for the Australian Indie Showcase. They will be at Stand 35, exactly, uh, if you are in the idea of so getting So sit your, there with your map yeah, and getting your mark map ready. it out. Um, but also on top of Kickstarter, if you want to find them online, uh, Steam Greenlight as well. Uh, they're at Lost Goblin on Twitter. They've got Facebook. They've got their own website. They're on Unreal forums. They've got their own subreddit. Basically, they're Everywhere. just all over Google. Um, you know, Google it. Exactly right. Let's jump into the next one. Pixel Sieve. It's not Pixel Sieve. It's Pixel Sifter. Pixel Sieve. Tuh. So by now you've most uh, most likely seen the awesome video of Nintendo's new flagship device, the Nintendo Switch. While there's still a heap we don't know about it, there is also a bunch we do. We're all a little excited, as we've noticed many others are, and as such, our final topic for today, episode 53, will be opening up on all the details we know so far. First off, initial thoughts, people? Okay, so <laughs> can you connect two of like them together? Oh, we don't. Well, as we, in like two of the screens together, because I assume one side's male and one side's female, right? They what? 
Because, what? No, I mean, like, no, I mean, like, as in the connector, the, the connector pins the, on either side. They can't. They, the from what I understand, the like you're talking about the mobile bit. Yeah, I'm there's not going to be no bit. no connections yeah. whatsoever. Oh. Wait. So I understand. Okay. So no, well, there's little things on the side which are called Joy Cons, and you're saying yeah. take off the Joy Cons and, and put jam them together. Two of them together. No, because I assume because the Joy Cons can connect together themselves, right? Or let no, no, they connect no, into another got a, little. Got a grid. Oh, okay. I completely misinterpreted this whole product because <laughs> I thought so, I thought they were kind of like a I railing it's system. An, it's an interesting insight into the way that Mitch's mind. Let works me give you there. a rundown, Mitch. Yeah. So you've got the dock, which uh-huh. is basically uh, how it will connect to uh, video, like how to yeah. connect to, to TV, TV and stuff. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, uh, then you've got your Joy-Con controllers, uh-huh. which in the middle of that is your Joy-Con grip. Yep. Uh, so you can take your, and it's a little bit under, under, under uh, it's a bit not understood what exactly will come in the base kind of kit. Mm-hmm. But um, the dock. It's uh, ambiguous. Yeah. At the moment, uh, we're not sure. I mean, like I said, all of this is a little bit unsure. That's what we're definitely not going to go into any specs or anything because that is just uh, up in the air. Rumor details. It'll mm-hmm. have 10,000 teraflops. 10,000 graphics. <laughs> 10,000 points. Uh, um, so it's going to be out sometime in March next year. Yep. Uh, it's still a bit loose. They're not going to confirm the price until January at the earliest. It's really interesting because I feel like, and tell me if this is your experience, it seemed like we were waiting a very long time for the Nintendo NX. And I think a lot of people were very keen to get away from the Wii U. They said, shelve it, put it away. We don't want to know about it anymore. Um, it just didn't get have the obviously the commercial success of the, um, the Wii. Uh, everyone kind of that I know of basically went out and got one yeah. with a Wii but no one I knew like I know one person who owns a Wii U um, and they run a Nintendo podcast um, so you know <laughs> that's basically about it um, yeah so it seems like it was no no noise no noise no noise and then all of a sudden we got all of this information and not we're waiting ne- until next Christmas it's coming out in March so it seems like no news was good news because yeah. they finished the, the console basically well, so. there's a few things we know um, well there's a few things that are very likely anyway there's likely it's going to be touch uh, and if it is touch it's also likely that it's going to have a stylus much like the last slew of Nintendo devices I guess mm-hmm. um, backwards compatibility I, I don't know about that I don't bit. know about the stylus yeah neither do I hmm. I wonder I wonder if it will it's just because would, some it, would of it be like a special Nintendo stylus or will it just be like something that you can just it could be the same as the one for the Wii see yeah. a lot or, of people this, speaking, about the the, use, mm. speaking about the touch I think there's an interesting thing that they've done with that is they haven't emphasized the touch features in the console the Wii U g- gamepad mm-hmm. had touch built into it I think it was uh, you know it's all multi-touchy sort of stuff um, but they haven't emphasize this because if you look at the actual uh, console itself it does actually look like almost like an android tablet style sort of tablet and i yeah. think what they were trying to do is differentiate themselves from being another tablet to consumers out there to versus a you know an actual console which is something different but looking so. at it it seems like thicker than this laptop almost when it's closed so like how is that going to feel like how is that going to be like an ipad territory because that's just like mean, three thinking, times it, it, it's three just times a, size it's just a it. tablet like it's just yeah. a regular kind of size small small like an ipad ipad mini or something like that hmm. um it seemed a lot bigger than that though the, yeah really i didn't kind of yeah. look at it too much but it didn't seem like it was going to be that thick i might i could be wrong and because you are right like it sh- it, it could be thick enough because it's got controllers on the side and it needs to have the attachments for that so it's got to be not too thin otherwise it's going to be flimsy yeah. and cheap yeah, I, yeah, we'll see. Another really interesting thing about this, especially in the way that we've seen this um, promotional trailer that's come out, is the way that they've positioned the console. You can look at the type of people who are actually in the, uh, basically in the clip 
um, and they are mostly sort of like 20-somethings who don't look like gaming is their, their main thing. They're just kind of doing gaming as an aside. Maybe they're waiting for a plane. Maybe they're playing some basketball and they're like, let's play as our favorite basketball team here. Or maybe we are you know, having a, having a rooftop party and we're going to yeah. come bring my console over to... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Damn it. Karen has got a Damn name. Damn it, Karen. Yeah, Karen, always bringing a Nintendo thing to the There's party. Some great we memes. actually just want to have... Yeah, get on. Um, There's some good memes flying around. Get good memeing. Um, uh, so my one concern here, and, and this is a pro and or con, and why I, it's got so many people excited about it that yeah, generally, generally aren't really into gaming as much as you know, mm. say the rest of us. <laughs> but you know, they probably were back in the Nintendo days and whatever. And this yeah. is kind of going to bring them back. It's like it's I, a combination of everything that Nintendo does well. Yep. I feel the handhold stuff, the accessibility of the games, yep. and whatever. Only problem I have here mm-hmm. is it could kill their current handheld like market I think, basically I like think throwing that, all their eggs fine, in one though. basket I think is the handheld's gone yeah. uh, to be honest I think it's going to start unless there's something really significantly different but I think this is basically the end of it and this is going to be a hybrid console but on your point of saying that I think it's going to be really good for people who maybe played in the SNES or the 64 era mm-hmm. who have fond memories of Mario Kart all we need to do is look at Pokemon Go um, yeah. because that yep. was huge and that really did that exact thing that I think Nintendo is positioning this for in that they're aiming for a market of people who have a nostalgia for gaming who probably have busy lives are doing other bits and pieces who want to jump in play a fun game at, a, at something that is kind of you know cool and fun and it's not gaming per se it's kind of just like oh we're going to play some Mario Kart well I, I did I did have a small chat to someone on um, on instant message about the switch and I said hey are you excited and he goes he mentioned if there aren't X X title and X title both of which are classic Nintendo titles He's not interested. And I thought, well, that's interesting because uh, he's a very dedicated Nintendo fan and he's a very big gamer, but Nintendo is pretty much where he's at and he loves it. But if if, you're, if that level of fan is not going to expect or want innovation for Nintendo, how, how can Nintendo really... I guess, service anyone at that point. Look, if one thing that Nintendo does, it's that they definitely bring their major franchises across to every console in different iterations. So I think I your think friend... You any has worry no, about that. No worries. I, mean, I, like, we know, I already know that... Unless they're asking for something like Kid Icarus, uh, <laughs> right. which maybe, I don't know, will get a rerun on the, on the new console. But yeah, your, your Metroids are going to be there. Well, I'm Zelda's just concerned about there. the company as a whole if they don't like... I think the only new IP that I can remember of recent times is Splatoon. Yeah. Well, and they made a big... And please correct me if I'm wrong in the chat because I'm, I'm not a very... I'm not heavy on a Nintendo knowledge. Yeah, and I think that is one of the big ones and they made a big emphasis of yeah. that in the and actual thing. They're positioning it as an eSports device as yeah, well. Yeah, I so. really liked Splatoon. Mm. Yeah. I... The, and we've only got... We've basically run out of time but one more thing just before we say is I am very excited for the possibility of a console home version of Pokemon, something they haven't talked about for a long time. Yep. Maybe they'll just it seems the a little outside the philosophy of Pokemon in general, though, because mm. I think... Yeah, maybe you're not going to be able to plug it back in. And it's like, no, yeah, play, because... play it with your friends in the park. Well, anyway, we're going to have to wait until January 12th, I believe, for this Nintendo Switch presentation, and uh, that'll be where all the media get invited for the proper unveil.
That's right. Are we going to get invited? Probably not. No. But Johnny, get us an invite. Might be able to put, I'll, put I'll our press strings in. We'll yeah. see how we go. They're going to be over at our packs. Get some flats just, comped. Yeah. You know. Um, that's all we've got time for today, guys. Thank you very much for joining us for an episode of Pixel Sift. Uh, we're not having one next week because we are going to be over at PAX Australia in Melbourne. Um, and we'll have heaps of other bits and pieces, though. So keep yep. an eye on our social media because we're going to be putting videos and Lots interviews. Lots little packages and, and stuff. All of that sort of stuff. And uh, in the coming months. and I might tweet once or twice. Mitch might even tweet. Uh, we'll have heaps of stuff there, so get on that. Uh, Scott. Yes, you can find us You said Facebook. Scott and looked at me. What's up with that, I'm dude? throwing it, throwing mm-hmm. it around. Mm-hmm. Mixing you it up. Find us at Facebook. you thought you interviewed. Oh, come on. You Let me do the social medias. How else are we going to people going to find us? <laughs> yeah. Facebook.com forward slash pixel sift. Twitter.com forward slash pixel sift. Twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift. And YouTube.com forward slash pixel sift au. And people aren't going to be looking at our new episodes because they're going to be uh, getting excited about all the new stuff coming out of PAX, Mitch. But once they've finished all that, they're going to go back to our old episodes, aren't they? And where yep. are they going to so, find them? So you can find the old episodes on our website. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and pretty much every other good iTunes pl- uh, uh, podcast, podcast platform. platform. That's but right. where will most of our PAX content be, Johnny? It'll be on social media, Facebook yep. and Twitter. That's where most of YouTube. it will be. Yep. A little bit uh, of YouTube as yep. well. Nice. So there we go. All right, thanks, guys. We will see you maybe in Melbourne if you're there. Yeah. So come say hi. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 